You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Chris Hilkin, speaker and pastor. Chris shares about his overwhelming journey and how he's struggled with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's dive in. Chris Hilkin, welcome to the No Gray Areas podcast. So good to have you. We've known each other for a couple of years. Uh, we both spoke at some of the same churches. I've felt a connection, a kinship to you. You have a big family, right? That's How right. many kids? Five kids. Five <laughs> kids, yep. And like many people, the, I, most of our listeners are actually just listening. They're not watching, so they wouldn't know this. But if they were watching, they'd probably look at you right now and say, how do you have five kids? You're like 24 years old. Because right. you look really young, right? Yeah. You've heard that your whole I life. I get that a bit. You're going to like that when you get to your 40s, though. That's what people can tell me. You. I promise That's you. That's what they keep yeah. saying. Yeah. But you, uh, in this last year, you went through what... Um, what someone might say, like hell on earth, um, yeah. a really difficult time, right? So start to unpack that. I don't think many of our audience would know. Yeah. So my wife and I were married for eight years and we were about to give birth to our fifth kid. And when I say we, I use that really loosely because she's giving birth and I'm watching. And <laughs> yes. um, so gave birth to our- You learned a lot in those eight years, I clearly. I, I see that because the way you just qualified that. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a home birth. It was cool. Everything was going great. And we were just kind of relishing. It felt like our family was complete. Felt like we finally had, after every kid, we kind of looked at each other, even in the hospital after birth and just went like, I think we're, I think we want one more. And, uh, so we finally felt like, wow, I really think this is content. I really feel like our family's complete with her. And we talked about doing adoption later on, but, um, within about 48 hours after. So you were going to add more kids. Yeah. (laughs) Adopt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it's, you know, it's a lot, but it is, it's fun. Yeah. Never a dull moment. So yeah, 48 hours, maybe afterwards, she started getting this like kind of strange back pain and, um, didn't think anything of it. And I'm thinking, well, you just gave birth in the corner of our bedroom in a hot tub. Like, uh, maybe that's that why you have some pain, pain. Yeah. you know, like yeah. you strained something, you pulled a mm-hmm. muscle. And, mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of consensus. Like you went online, you looked at all this stuff and that was kind of what it was. And, and it, it started not going away. It just kept kind of lingering there. And so after a, a, quite a bit of time, I finally called, um, my buddy who works at a hospital in the area. And I said, okay, this is what happened. Here's what's going on. And, and he said like this strangely harrowing phase where he said 99% chance it's a, it's a pulled muscle. You, you tweaked it. You slept on it weird. You pushed in a funny position that, that, uh, you know, it might require some physical therapy or, um, you know, acupuncture, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, chiropractic care, whatever. He said, but there's 1% chance it's a pulmonary embolism. And so I'm, you know, trying to act like I know. I'm like, okay, so if I'm five, explain a pulmonary embolism mm-hmm. to me. And he said a lot of times with like pregnant women and women immediately after birth, they get these blood clots in their legs that end up traveling different places. And one of the places that it'll get lodged is your lungs. So you'll get a blood clot on your lungs. And he said 25% of people, their first um, symptom is death. So they don't even know. So it passes from their lung to their heart and it kills them instantly. And so unbeknownst to me, Paige had been following someone on Instagram. She was a, she was big on Instagram and she did a lot of holistic health stuff. And she's an amazing entrepreneur and started a bunch of businesses. And, um, so, but the, the, the Instagram account that she was following, this is a woman who during her pregnancy with her fifth kid had a pulmonary embolism and it killed her. And so this is all kind of fresh in Paige's mind. Yeah. And we go to the, she just gave birth to her fifth kid. Just gave birth to her fifth kid. And, and she's so reading she's about watching, people dying of this. She's watching the parallels happen. Hmm. So we go to the hospital and they do a scan and everything. Like you have a pulmonary embolism. And so you just kind of watch something click for her in her brain. Something just kind of, um, 
and, and I really think it was, we had an amazing marriage. We had all five kids. We had our future in front of us. We were living out in a cool like farm town out in um, North County, San Diego. And it just, everything was just lining up. And then I think she just watched. She was healthy and she uh, took care of her body and she ate like all organic, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden- She's doing everything right. Yeah. And then this thing snuck up on her where it's like, wait, did you just tell me I almost died? And the fear of that set in so- uh, intensely for her that we spent a couple of days in the hospital uh, and she was always naturopathic, like holistic stuff. Mm -hmm. And now she's like having to give herself shots so that she can as like blood thinner. So she can try to keep nursing the baby because the, the normal medicine doesn't allow you to nurse. So it's like her whole world kind of got thrown off and mm -hmm. we went home that night and I don't know if it was that night or the next night, but uh, she woke up in the middle of the night in like a panic. She thought she thought that the blood clot had passed and it had hit her heart. So she felt some heart palpitations. And then so she woke me up and she like said her goodbyes. She's like, I'm not going to make it. She's like, let's get the kids up. And I'm like, whoa. You know, and I'm, 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 yeah. I'm the, I can't overemphasize the intensity of that moment. But um, so I'm trying to keep cool, right? I'm trying to be calm. And so I call the, you know, the nurse hotline. I'm calling the emergency room and going like, hey, what's going on? And they're mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm, I'm sure this is not what's happening. Like you don't, you don't, you're probably not super cognizant of it. She might have a cardiac infarcture, which is basically, you know, a heart palpitation because part of your heart wasn't getting oxygenated blood for a mm -hmm. season because your blood clot was stopping it. That's probably what it was. And, but when she had that freak out moment, her brain just kind of started connecting sleep with death. If, you know, it's, it's, if I go to sleep, I'm not going to wake up again. And didn't think much of it, but the next time we got in bed and she just like stayed awake. So it's probably midnight at that point. She wakes me up. She's like, hey, hey Christopher, I just can't sleep. And, and she's so, not consciously trying to stay, stay awake. No, she wants to sleep she, more than anything. She, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll stay up with you. And so it was midnight and we like put on some worship music. I got my guitar out. I'm just like going to play with her because she's just not, she's just not even, doesn't even seem like she's tired. And, um... So that happens, and that's day after day, night after night after night after night, the same thing happens. And after day two, I took her to the emergency room and just said, guys, something's going on. Like, she won't sleep. And I don't mean she sleeps a little bit. Like, everyone was like, I was like, my wife's not sleeping. They're like, okay, so how many hours did she get? I'm like, no, I, I'm not mincing words. I think you heard me say she's not sleeping well, but I didn't. She's just not sleeping. She's got a newborn. She's breastfeeding. She's undernourished. She's all these things. She's And she doesn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And... So it's like every day that we would go back and they would give us like the next bigger pill and the next bigger like intense thing to put her down and to like put her finally to sleep and it just wasn't working. And so every night I would, I would go to sleep at like 10 o'clock and I would try, we would try like different meditations and reading the Bible mm -hmm. and doing else and it just wasn't working. And I would fall asleep and then sure enough around midnight, 1am, she would wake me up and go, Hey, I'm, I can't sleep again. So I would stay up with her through the night and then on day four, she started talking about like, hey, I, I, I'm starting to think, I'm starting to have these weird like suicidal thoughts. And my wife is someone who whenever we heard about someone committing suicide was always, she would just kind of break down to me like, how could anyone do this? Like, it's so selfish and it's mm -hmm. so this and it's so mm -hmm. that and I don't understand it and I can't comprehend it. And like, if someone ever had anxiety around us or depression in our close circle, she was always very empathetic towards them, but then would come to me and go like, I don't get it. Like, so she's never struggled uh, up to this point. She didn't have a past struggling with anxiety or depression or no. nothing. 
And and her platform was fairly big on, on social media, and she mm-hmm. had she was outspoken about her views, and so she she had the stuff thrown at her too. Like people would, you know, she had moments where people would come at her, and it was like water off a duck's back. She just mm-hmm. didn't wasn't bothered by anything, didn't get wrapped up in anything, and was just phenomenally confident, and helped so many women throughout her life. And so she just kind of knew who she was. She was so comfortable in her own skin, mm-hmm. and so and that, you just sit there and you're like, what is? did you just say you're having suicidal ideation? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, I, I just went to use a restroom and I looked at like my, my cord to my hairdryer and thought I could use that. Or I, and she's like, I just can't shake this idea. And she was always very honest and open mm. with it. Like she never really hid anything. And, and so we went back to the emergency room the next day, walked him through that. They gave her the next biggest pill. Nothing worked. Went back the next day, next biggest pill, nothing worked. And then I was going to teach at church that next night. And she came with me because I just felt like, at this point, I don't want to leave her alone or alone with the kids because mm-hmm. she's not sleeping and that can make you do weird stuff. Like if you start Googling, oh, yeah. what do you do after three days of no sleeping? Most of the things are jokes and some of them are like, yeah, you're probably, you're on like a, a binger or you've got, you know, you're cracked up on something. But when you start Googling, like what happens after five days of no sleep, the, the articles go from like 2. million hit, 2.5 million hits to like 13 hits because it's just not something that happens. And for 10 days straight, she didn't sleep at all not one wink and after day whatever day it was where i was at church she ended up saying like i don't feel safe if you go inside and so i called like this is right before you're going up to speak yeah yeah yeah. i'm like in the parking lot getting ready to go in and i just it was always this ideation like um they call it suicidal obsession sometimes especially Mm -hmm. for people who go through something traumatic like that she got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress and so i'm like okay this that she's having these ideations but then she started saying i don't feel safe like i feel like i could act on this and so i called everyone who's got any kind of psych in their name psychiatrist psychologist Mm -hmm. um psychological whatever it was Mm -hmm. and 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 north coast this team from north coast came around her and just kind of sat with her and sat with me and and I'm trying not to panic, but in my head, I'm going like, wait, what? Like, what is going, what are we talking about right now? Are we really having this conversation? And Mm. so we ended up taking her down to a uh, a behavioral health unit in San Diego that night. And she was there for, I think, six days or whatever it was. They finally gave her this crazy cocktail of sleep medicine. And she was able to sleep after like the, the first or second night, which equaled 10 days total. And then every day I would, I would I would drive down. It's about an hour drive. I had someone watch the kids. I would drive down. I would get a Rubio's on the way there, and we would eat lunch together at the behavioral health unit. And it just felt so weird. It was like, why are we here? What are mm-hmm. we doing here? Mm-hmm. Like this is not for people like us. Yeah. You know, this is for people who, and, and, like a lot of them had different drug issues and whatever. And um and that those those diseases are very real too. Mm-hmm. Not trying to diminish them, but just to say like everything that we've done in our life was to pr- just protect these things and to, you know, our marriage and our open lines of communication and our, sh- our handling stress and our handling different arguments. Like it was all to prevent this. And now we're sitting here. So she went through that process, ended up, um, getting a, she got some brainwave therapy afterwards and she just registered off the charts in, in terms of trauma. They basically said like, it's like you're constantly in a war. So my wife's fight or flight reflex was constantly engaged. And so when you talked with her, it was like she wasn't really there when she was when she was there. And uh, long story short, there's a lot more elements like, to like it. Like how but... when, when you say that it was like fight or flight, because I think th- those terms are thrown around a lot nowadays, sure. but hers was really serious. I mean, from not sleeping that much, right? Like, you're, yeah, yeah she would explain to you how she would kill herself in any moment. But if you said, are you depressed? She would go, no. Do you want to end your life? No. 
Yeah. What, then why are you talking about this? And it her had brain to be so had confusing for her. Oh and my you. gosh, she yeah, was yeah. she was so confused. Yeah, because it was it was like an impulse, and and that's what afterwards I, I'm realizing, learning so much about the brain that that lack of sleep can rewire your brain mm -hmm. to where it's self-preservation instinct becomes like self-destruction instinct. And you're like, what in the world? So that's what she would do. She would sit there and she would laugh and she would play and she would talk about how much she loves her life and she would write in her print journal and she would do all these things. And then she would sit there and go like, uh, I can't drive today. I can't drive the kids anywhere. I can't do this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And and so this behavior just, that's like the fight or flight thing. It was just constantly yeah, in that. Yeah in that zone and she was afraid of things. And when we talked about the future, she was like, I don't want to talk about the future right now. And um, so there's a lot other stuff that happened, but but basically the trauma just kept getting worse and worse. My son Leo went limp one day, just fell over and was unconscious. And they thought he took Paige's sleep medicine and then he was going to die. So they basically said, if, it, if it's already said, and we were up at Hume Lake. And so we didn't you're, have a way of getting down the hill. We're some speaking yeah, at Hume yeah. Lake. We didn't have a way of getting down the hill. There were, you couldn't life flight. And so I had a guy tell me like, if, if what happened is what you think is what we think happened, we can't save him. We can't pump his stomach. We can do all that stuff, but it's not going to, it's already setting in. He's, he's limp. He's unresponsive. And after a few days of like, what the heck is going on? Got diagnosed with acute onset cerebralitis, which is this just in infinitesimally rare disease where a kid's whole nervous system shuts down because they're getting sick. And after three days, he was fine. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, Finley, our newborn had an asthma attack in the middle of the night and we had to rush her to the emergency room. And it's, it just felt just like, like getting hit over and yeah, over again with, yeah. it just felt like, I, I remember my prayer being so poignant. That term was like, God, just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like, just leave me alone. Okay. Like mm -hmm. I, and I'm thinking back to like the heroes of heroes of faith, historically speaking. And, or even people that I like to, you read their books and they're theologians and, you know, like you read a grief observed and how come C.S. Lewis wrote it? Oh, because his wife died. And, and, you know, the guy who wrote It Is Well With My Soul and he, he writes it when he's passing over his entombed child's grave in the, in the Atlantic or whatever it is. And, and so I just started thinking to myself, like, is this what you're doing? Mm. Like, are, are you just trying to make an example out of me and my family? And like, because I'd rather just not be involved in ministry and you leave me alone than to give me some kind of mm. testimony that you're going to want me to share later on. Like just like legit, legitimately, like it, was, it was never abandoning him, but it definitely wrestling of like, mm -hmm. just leave us alone. Because it just felt gratuitous. And when anyone in our, in our immediate community was just kind of like, this is a joke. Like this is all a joke, you know? And, and I used to always tell people like, you know, they couldn't find their keys. They're like, well, I'm getting jobed right now. You know, like this is like Job in the Bible. And and that's kind of how it felt. It felt like everything that was sacred to us was getting kind of ripped away one by one. And um, Well, and, and in some ways it was though, right? Yeah. Because not finding your keys is a lot different than what you were going through. You right. literally were in the process of going through what similar to what Job had to deal with. Yeah. And like my my son was having like eye surgery. My other son named named Brady, his eyes were turning inwards randomly. We thought he was crossing his eyes for fun, but turns out he had some kind of a, what they thought could be a growth in his brain and was doing that stuff. And I just stopped telling people this stuff because it just felt like a lie. It mm -hmm. felt like mm -hmm. there's no way you're going to believe that this is a happening to me too. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up just hiding it. And everything else bad that would happen, I would just not even tell anyone because it was just so intense and it was so weird and it was just you know, it felt like Satan was getting the win every time new people were freaking out or whatever. So anyway, her mental health continued to decline to a point where um, she just started participating in really strange behavior. Like I was standing next to her one day, she jumped off the balcony at our house, like 
were just standing like holding each other, talking about the day. And she's like, I just feel like I want it. And then she just jumped off the balcony and she landed on the ground below. And, and fortunately she wasn't hurt by that. And, but like all my kids were around and, you know, my son's going like, to anyone who would come over, why is mom jumping off the balcony? Like yeah. what is going on? Yeah. And, and, you know, like, um, I would catch her like trying to put things around her neck and strangle herself. And it was just, and it was just this duality. It, it was as close to what you would understand as like possession as you could possibly get, where it's like, you're normal. We're talking, we're having conversations, we're doing this. And then you do this erratic behavior. And, and even psychiatrists are starting to scratch their head. Like, we don't really get what's going and on. She's, she's sleeping by now, but it's, it's, she's what they're probably sleeping half the, the trauma. Time. Okay. But the trauma has rewired her brain in some ways. Right. She's yeah. just not herself yeah. anymore. And so probably that's probably started at the beginning of May. And so May through July, I would say she stopped being herself probably mid April, I would say. And then it was kind of like, there was this person and she was almost like, uh, she's like a patient and I was like a doctor. And so we're doing everything. I'm, I'm, I'm like EMDR, eye movement therapy, mm -hmm. hypnosis, like no matter what, right? You're I mean, anything. just try yeah. anything. Like, we're going to Christian counselors, like, can you hypnotize her? You know, and like, <laughs> I don't know, just get her to go to sleep and get, like, that was my mm -hmm. thing. It's like, almost through tears with each one, like, I'll, I will pay you whatever, just give me my wife back, mm. you know? And so after the balcony incident, I finally, like, I went on Google and I just said, I'm not, I'm not I'm worried about local, I'm not worried about anything. And before that, she didn't want to leave the kids. So, like, I don't, whatever we do, I'm not leaving you, I'm not leaving our kids. So if you want to do an, an outpatient thing, I'll go for a day. But after that yeah, episode, there's five kids, like you said, and a newborn. One yeah. of them's a newborn. Yeah. Yeah. And she's kind of disassociated with the idea of her needing help or her get, going crazy. She doesn't, she doesn't connect with it because when she's healthy, it's like, oh, this is great. Mm -hmm. After that, she agreed to, she's like, I think I need something more intense. So I, I went online. I said, what's the best PTSD trauma center in the nation? Like, we don't care what it costs. I don't care if it's covered by insurance. Everyone's like, well, is it your insurance? I don't care. Mm -hmm. If it's the best one at this point, like I'll sell my kidney, like I'll sell my plasma. If we have to, if we're all naked on the side of a road and we have no house or no clothes left, let's do it. Cause but I just need to get my, wife I just gotta get my yeah. wife back. Like it was, it's like the parable of like the, the, the pearl in the field, right? The, the treasure mm -hmm. in the field. Mm -hmm. It's like, now that I know that this could be taken from me, like just sell everything and get her back. So Tucson, Arizona had one that was nationally renowned and, um, so she ended up going to that center and, um, again, after a couple of days, she was able to convince them to let her out of like the intense, um, check in every 30 minutes thing. And she went to residential side and within 48 hours, she had, she had taken her own life. And so at July 31st at 10 AM, I'm sitting in the living room with my kids and my parents were in town randomly. And I get a call from, from the the place from Tucson. And I think it's paid. It's like our daily check-in, you know, mm -hmm. the day before I, I, we talked about Costco, I, I took all five kids to Costco and it was a, just a great spectacle. And I took mm -hmm. a picture of them and couldn't send it to her because she didn't have her phone with her. But I'm talking to her about, you know, I'm just going like, Hey, I, I appreciate so much more than I ever did because this is hard. And this is, it's not just hard, it's taxing and it's emotional and then like, but nothing out of the ordinary, nothing weird in that conversation. And, and that 10 AM, I just, this, three people on this phone at the same time. I answered the phone. Hey, babe, what's up? And, you know, it's, hey, this is Dr. Whomever from... No, they called on her phone. No, they called on... She wasn't allowed to use her phone. So they called on the phone, the, from okay. the phone, the area code but that I was expecting. It, you assumed because it was her. Because this is yeah. what she did every day. Yeah. We we talked yeah. every day. And there's three people. And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. You know, mm. like... But I'm thinking to myself, like, every time she's had any kind of 
attempt. Um, it was always more of a, um, you know, jump off the balcony. Like I, that wouldn't kill you. Or, you know, she would move towards me when she felt like she was going to do something impulsive and she would like, let me know about it. And I would protect her from it. And so the doctor said, you know, Mr. Hilkin, this morning, your wife, uh, attempted suicide and he paused and I was like, and I'm thinking like, is she kicked out of the program? Like, what, who do you mean? She attempted suicide and, and then he said, and she was successful. And I, I, I remember thinking that even at the moment, like, first of all, you need to get a new way of saying that. And secondly, like your world, it just, if you think of like a war movie where a bomb goes off next to the, the guy and they, you just hear this like ringing in your ears. And then you know English language, so you know, I know what you just told me. You know, but like, there's no way that you just told me what you just told me. Mm. Like, yeah. And so I just like, I remember just collapsing like a little puddle on the floor and, and then it was almost like adrenaline kicked in and it, it was like, it was like dad mode. Like, mm -hmm. I got to go tell five babies that they're never going to see their mom. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, you, know, you can go to seminary, you can go to Bible college, you can, you can, you, you just, but nothing prepares you for that moment where you got to be like, so yeah. I, I remember going downstairs and I sent the kids upstairs first to tell my, my parents were there and my brother and his wife was there again, as an act of God, they, sh they lived, they lived in Bakersfield. They shouldn't have been there. They were dropping off my dog who ended up whatever. But I just remember, I just, I like was staring around the room. I just said like, she's dead. And my dad, what, who, what? And I was like, Paige is dead and everyone just collapsed it's just it was just like because it the ramifications just it sets in one by one and almost like a thousand paper cuts you start thinking of the implications of this and not the least of which is like there's my lover there's my wife there's my everything there's my future there's my there's my passion there's my plan there's like there the, she is my everything and you just told me she's gone mm. and I just I just don't under, I, I do not know how there aren't words that I know how to say to, to help articulate what it feels like to have your soul get stepped on like that. And, and so I told everyone, I was like, Hey, you, you gotta be strong. We gotta tell these kids. And this is all, this is the worst day of their life. They're not even, they don't even know it yet, but I don't want to add fear in the mix because you guys are rolling around on the ground and freaking out. Like, let's get it together and let's be there for them. There's gonna be a lot of time today for us to weep with each other and to fold and to do that. But right now, let's get these kids told because nothing's gonna make sense until they understand what happened. And so I just explained it to them. And I remember thinking to myself, whether it was right or wrong, like, don't have to tell them twice. So mm -hmm. tell them exactly what happened. So. And how old are they? How old is your oldest? The oldest is seven. Okay. And then five, four, two, and newborn. So not concerned about newborn, right? Yeah, not concerned yeah, about yeah. two-year-old, really. Yeah. Um, middle child, Brady, maybe, maybe not. Don't know. But the older two, it's like, oh, yeah. that's his mom. You know, mm -hmm. like this is... So, yeah. So I just told him, my dad had cancer a few years back. And uh, my best friend was killed in Afghanistan <clears throat> back in... 2017 and so we've been talking we've been talking about death we've talked about his cancer we've been talking about uh, my buddy tito who was killed and so they had a, they had a their vocabulary was strong enough that they could get both of those concepts and 
So I said, you guys know how, how Pop-Up, that's what we call my data. Pop-Up had cancer and it threatened to kill his body. Um, mom had a kind of a cancer too of her brain. And when this cancer gets really bad, it tells you to do stuff that you would never do. And because you're so sick that you start listening to it. And mommy had a, a kind of a, almost like a cancer of the brain that told her that the best thing that she should do right now is, is to kill herself. And, and that's what happened. Mo mommy's disease got so bad that so, it's like someone else took over her body and mm -hmm. took her life from her because you know, your mommy, your mommy would never do that. Your mommy loves you so much. You do. And you just start watching their cogs turning like, cause they're now they're starting to get the implications of what's going on and they get enough that they're like, wait, so, you know, my middle son's like, so wait, when, so hold on, she's dead. But when is she coming back from the hospital? Hmm. And, oh man, I, to your worst enemy, you would never want them to have that conversation. It's just, yeah. it was just like the most painstaking. And that just led to like, that was the beginning of just the season of, you know, the dark night of the soul where you go, mm -hmm how in the world why who are you god like why why how did you and from that to planning her memorial to then picking up the pieces of your life to go now what like you know and in your moments it's like it hits you in waves your your wave at one point in that day was like wait does that mean i gotta date people again like what did i just become like the single father of five the the you know like what what in the what is and you start thinking about your future and, and all the promises that you made about what you were going to do and then reflect back on your wedding and your and our wedding song was, I won't give up on us even if the skies get rough and you're like, you think about your vows and for richer or poorer and sickness and in health till death do us part and you just, it's just. Yeah. 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 So that just kind of began that season for me that I'm in, you know, right now of deep refining, deep grief, intense suffering but also I, I think in the middle of that in god's faithfulness i've found the different attributes of god that have always escaped me are now so much more real to me than ever before like god is comforter and what did that mean you know well mm -hmm. who needs a comforter when you've never been uncomfortable god as as provider mm -hmm. you know like who needs a provider when you've always had providence and mm -hmm. um and that's been that this season for me is just this deep, passionate relationship with Jesus that I've never had before on the coattails of the most intense tragedy I could possibly imagine. Yeah. And just taking every day one at a time and trying to raise these kids to know Jesus and and doing whatever I can to try to be both mom and dad to them. And so that's kind of been, that's my story. Man, Chris, I, I uh, run a podcast, so I have to talk. <laughs> but I... I mean, I think when anybody goes through something like you've gone through, you know, I've heard it said before, you just show up and shut up sometimes because what do you say? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like what I feel like right now. Like I don't, I don't even know what to say. But um, I certainly, hearing you describe that grief and confusion go well together, don't they? Like that, what I kept oh, yeah. hearing you saying, you're, you're confusing, you're, you're confused. Like there's all these different thoughts, you know, you're thinking wedding day and future and how do you tell your kids and... So you're going through that and your kids are going through that. And I imagine in the last, it's, it's not even a year now, right? It's like seven, eight right. months now. You've had to do many times what you did that first, oh, those yeah. first moments where you had to set aside what you were dealing with to deal with your kids. But then you have to deal with your stuff too. Otherwise you're going to be in a really unhealthy place. So it just, I can't even imagine the weight. And yeah. I, 
Yeah. Hey, we recognize that this is a really deep subject, difficult subject. We're talking about grief. We're talking about suicide. So first of all, we just want you to know that if you're struggling with this or you know someone who is, we have information in the description about a suicide hotline that you can reach out to. But we are, because of the fact that this is such a deep subject, we're going to split this into two parts. So make sure and join us again next week as Chris Hilkin continues to unpack his journey and how we can deal with our own grief and help deal with the grief of others.